Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, September 14th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi youth advocates are reacting to new census data that shows a near doubling of child poverty rates in the nation. Then, this year's extreme heat is taking a toll on rural communities across the country. Plus, women in the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility have completed training and welding to begin a new career path when released. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A pandemic-era child care tax credit has ended. Many families in Mississippi and across the country have relied on that assistance to make ends meet. Now child poverty rates in the state and nationwide are growing rapidly, and that's according to the latest census data. Our Lacey Alexander speaks with Carol Burnett, director of the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative. She says reducing the tax credits are already placing families in worse financial straits. The child tax credit expansions that occurred during the pandemic increased the amount families could get, increased the types of families who could benefit, and the way the funds came to the family. There were a number of changes that made that financial assistance uh, more and work better for low-income families. And the loss of that is being largely cited as the reason for this increase in child poverty. Child poverty in Mississippi is concentrated in single-parent households who are mostly single moms. And most of those single moms are working, but they work in jobs that pay very low wages. So if a mom has a child and she's working full-time at minimum wage, her family still falls below the federal poverty level. So work is not helping her climb out of poverty. And so the solutions that we see are really threefold. Higher wages for single moms so they can earn what they need to support their families. Child care that's affordable so more single moms can be at work. And the last thing is health care. Expansion of Medicaid that a lot of people talk about It would benefit workers, people who are at work. They make too much to qualify for Medicaid, but they don't make enough to afford insurance on their own, and their employer doesn't provide it. And that is the low-income worker group 
that would benefit from Medicaid expansion, and most of those workers in Mississippi are women. And so those three things, health care, family-supporting wages, and affordable child care are sort of the three legs of the stool that we think would really help move us to make fewer children in Mississippi poor. Carol, that's a great segue into an, uh, another question I had. You can't really talk about poverty without talking about our state. Mississippi is the poorest state in the nation. When federal dollars like the tax cut, like pandemic relief programs go away, how does that maybe impact Mississippi differently than it might impact the rest of the nation? There aren't state resources to replace those federal resources in Mississippi. And so without that federal help, there isn't a state safety net that's going to kick in and help out. Poor families will suffer the loss of those benefits more so than in states where uh, a state might invest in programs that would kick in to replace the loss of those federal dollars. And, And what do our lawmakers really need to do to counter that? Why, in your opinion, do we have a history of not seeing as much investment into family programs? Is it because the conversation goes around aid? Is it because of, like you said, racial disparities that no one is really seeing? From your perspective as an advocate, what education needs to happen so that these programs are more readily advocated for and available? Yeah, I think it's a combination of the attitude that it's not government's role to step in and um, help with these kinds of public benefit programs. I think it's also that um, uh, an attitude about poor people that they uh, isn't correct, frankly. I mean, our experience with single moms who are poor and who are uh, working but still very low income, they are working really hard. But the narrative out there is that they're they're not working and that somehow they have to be forced to go to work and these benefits would be a disincentive to work. And we see the opposite of that being true, that these moms do work, they don't earn enough, they're completely committed to the best for their children, and so they are trying everything they can to put things together that are that is going to support the best outcomes for their children. And so we think that those families are very worthy of the investment of assistance to make that to to help you know shore up their efforts and make their efforts to work and and make their own way successful instead of not providing benefits that really erode their efforts and thwart them from being successful. Before I let you go, you talked earlier in the interview about your suggested solutions, what your initiative believes is the issue. Can you elaborate on some of those policy changes you hope to see the state implement? What steps can the Mississippi legislator take when they go back into session this spring? I know that our, uh, with regard to wages, um, our state workforce agency, the new Accelerate Mississippi group, is investing in support services that help single parents. And those support services include child care. That's an incredibly positive direction, and I would love to see more of that take place. The child care program is really administered by our State Department of Human Services, where they can use all the federal funds they have, including TANF funds that could supplement the child care funds 
to serve a larger number of children in our state who qualify for this child care assistance. And finally, I was uh, interested to read recently that the person who is in line to likely be the new Speaker of the House in Mississippi indicated an openness to talking about Medicaid expansion, and that was very encouraging. And uh, like I said earlier, taking that step would be an enormous financial benefit for single moms who are working so hard and trying to support their families. Carol Burnett is director of the Mississippi Low Income Child Care Initiative. Coming up, this year's extreme heat is taking a toll on rural communities across the country. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB's next Workforce Wednesday program is Wednesday, September 20th. Our speaker is Dorlisa Hudson from SR1, making education, health, and technology available for all. She'll share information about her organization and the Beginning Farmers Program for New Farmers. Register to participate in person or virtually for the next Workforce Wednesday event from the Education tab on mpbonline.org. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. This has been a hot summer for the region. Parts of Mississippi and Alabama saw record highs, and Louisiana recorded its hottest summer ever. For those who must brave the heat for work, prolonged exposure can have severe health effects. The Gulf States newsroom's Drew Hawkins talked to farmers in Louisiana who know this firsthand. It's about 1 o'clock and 104 degrees in the small rural community of Crowville, Louisiana. Farmer Stephen Franklin is in his tractor using a giant till to break up a layer of compacted soil called hardpan to start preparing one of his fields for the next planting season. You feel that hardpan breaking under? Is that what that is? That's what that is. Okay. Franklin grows cotton, corn, and soybeans. He describes his 2,500 acres as a medium-sized farm, and he says the heat has taken a devastating toll on this year's crop. 70% loss. So really dramatic. Oh, yeah, catastrophic. And that's all from the heat? Yeah. Franklin has been farming his entire life. His grandfather was a farmer. He says it's all he ever wanted to do. But if the heat continues to be like this... I'll be doing something else. How many more years would it take for it to be like this for you to make that call? Probably two. I, I might be able to make two. This year's extreme temperatures have broken all of the records, with several weeks' worth of over 100-degree days. Franklin says he's talked to other farmers in the region, and from Alabama to Texas, they're all saying the same thing. The heat is unbearable. And it's not just bad for their crops. It's dangerous for them as well. Franklin's brother Jason is in a tractor out on the other end of the field. The two of them often work together. It's a family operation. Everybody calls Jason little brother. And when he's not in the tractor, one of Jason's other jobs is to walk the lengths of the fields to check them for insect damage. And uh, it's once a week, kind of like a male, male person, no matter if it's raining, hot, or whatever. 
Just a few weeks ago, Jason was out in the field when he became lightheaded and weak. And then he started vomiting. He knew he needed to get out of the heat fast. Unfortunately, at that time, there was no air conditioner to recover, and I just tried to pull through it. I'm no spring chicken anymore, I guess you'd say. And then that's when I became heat exhausted. Jason's family raced him to a doctor, but that was about an hour's drive away. Fortunately, he made it in time and was treated before his heat exhaustion became heat stroke. And without proper treatment, heat stroke can quickly become deadly. But for many in rural communities like Crowville, medical treatment is often a long ways away. They may not think it's worth the trip. Oh, 100%. They don't want to make the long drive or they don't have a ride. And then some of these people shouldn't be driving, you know, in the state they're in. Chris Watson is a family nurse practitioner at the Delhi Community Health Center in Delhi, Louisiana. It's the nearest medical facility for Crowville. Watson says he's seen more farmers and people who have to work outside this year than ever before. And even though they know it's dangerous to work during the hottest parts of the day, he says they don't really have a choice. A lot of these patients, um, especially the manual labor jobs, don't have really a PTO. They don't do the work. They don't get paid. And, you know, everyone has to make money. And this isn't an issue that's limited to just Louisiana or even the Gulf South. The extreme heat this year is impacting rural communities across the country. Alan Morgan is CEO at the National Rural Health Association, a nonprofit that advocates for rural health issues. And what we're seeing certainly this summer in in many areas, we're seeing much higher temperatures than they may have been used to in the past. Because of climate change, scientists say global temperatures will continue to rise and shatter more records over the coming years. And while the heat impacts us all, farmers like Stephen Franklin and Crowville are really feeling the effects now. A few more years with harvests and dangerous conditions like this, and Franklin won't be able to support his family. He'll have to stop farming. But I don't want to do that. You know, I, want, I want it to where the next generation can, I can just step out the next generation can take over without without them being in debt, starting in debt. You know, it was, it was my dream, my idea of passing it on to kids and grandkids. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Drew Hawkins. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, women at the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility have completed training and can begin a new career path in welding when released. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Humor, stories, news, music. Our weekend lineup has it all. Tune in to enjoy the relaxed sound of the weekends on MPB Think Radio. on the next Chalkboard Chat podcast episode. And today, I'm super excited to be talking to Mississippi's Secretary of State, Michael Watson, about his student ambassador program. Having that opportunity to build those relationships is something I do not take for granted, and I'm really excited about that through the ambassador program. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier.
Women at the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility in Rankin County have completed their training in welding and are now certified. It's part of a larger effort at the State Department of Corrections to have incarcerated Mississippians prepared for jobs once they're released from prison. Our Will Stribling speaks with Ebony Kroon of Pascagoula, an inmate at the correctional facility, and she says the program was appealing to her because other members of her family are welders and fellow inmates saw it as an opportunity to gain new skills. My mother's a welder, my, uh, my brother's a welder, he's a pipe fitter, and um, so I'm used to, you know, them talking about the experiences they have at the Ingle Shipyard in Pascagoula. That's where I'm from. So basically, once we came in here or whatever, we knew it was going to be tough, but we pushed forward. And as time went by or whatever, we still, we burns, hard work, heat, we pushed through it. Describe that, just that, what the work is like, the like the like just how intense it is physically. Oh, physically. For one, the heat. You trying to stay hydrated. Um, I would say just being steady, having an eye for certain things, being persistent, um, knowing what type of tools you're working with and what you're working around, making sure that you have your proper PPE on and being safe. And um, just basically... Everything that they're teaching you from the beginning of, from core to, like, introduction to construction, all the way into welding one when you first start, all of it, all of it is important. So. Yeah. About, like, the, the eye to detail you have to have doing this work, because a good weld versus a bad bad weld is, like, the difference between, you know, a piece of equipment holding up Yes, together, yes. Up together. Ba- making sure that it fuses together. So, basically, that means that both pieces of metal is penetrated to where it's going to stick together. So. When you get out, do you want to go home to Pascagoula? Yes, I'm going home to Pascagoula, and I'm my main focus is going to Ingalls Shipyard, yes. I'm, when, when will that be? Uh, I, leave, I parole out uh, June 2025, so that's real close. Yeah. Yes, so I'm glad that I did get in this program and it's going to give me uh, like basically me entering the world with a plan instead of me entering the world not knowing what to do or depending on my family to support me in the beginning. And it's like, and I really don't want to depend on the government. I have four kids to where I want to provide for them just like any other person by me being a single mom. So I would like to provide for my kids and make sure they have everything they need and some of the wants that they they want. Has like I don't know have have, have you and the other folks in the program like bonded? Have you made friends? Yes, this? yes, and yes. It's a, a lot of us. We started out not even knowing each other's name, and at the end of this, it's like we're all family. It's like even when we see each other bypassing, you know, in the uh, residence of uh, CMCF, it's like we, we want to stop and make sure everybody's having a good day or. You know, what new program are you in? Or, you know, just to see what future they might have in store for themselves. There's, and then what do you, like, what do you like about the work? Like, is it that? Is I like about the work that it, it doesn't change. Everything's the same. It's all about numbers. It's, um, 
like I say, being persistent, being um, having a certain eye for it. So it's like once you get it, it's like riding a bike. It's informed at the beginning of uh, welding one that we will go to the next level, which is welding two level, which when you go into introducing to the workforce, you'll use more of the level two trades more than the level one. So I'm interested in uh, MDOC providing the women with the proper uh, equipment and a chance to be able to go to welding too. So what would, if y'all got that level two training, like what would y'all be doing? Like how, how is that welding different and more difficult? Okay, uh, like right now we start off with uh, stick welding. And um, it's basically with the rod, but usually you won't use these in the workforce because it, it, it takes too much time to use this, like to where you'll be in a, um, on a ship or something like that. You'll have a big spool of wire to where it goes in a machine and then you'll have the machine and then it's like, go, you know, you're going to continue, it's like a continuum. So, they really don't use these at Ingle Shipyard. So, you got to start off, you know, to learn the basics, but level two is what you will really use in the industry. So, that's why I feel like we need to at least have level two so we'll know exactly what to look for, how to use it, the safety, equipment, like what. And be fully prepared to get the job. Basically, basically. And there's, in your opinion, do you, th- do you feel like like y'all like being involved with something like this and kind of like having a plan for when you mm-hmm. get out, does that like, does that, does that just give y'all different attitudes than, yeah, than other it, inmates? It gives, you, it gives you hope. It's like... Where our residents um, at MCIW, what they're trying to do is everybody on the compound is going to have a job, they're going to work, you're going to do either or. You're going to have a job, you're going to work, and it's going to be something that is going to benefit you when you go home. Even if it's just getting your GED or a trade, they even have like this academy to where after a while they're even going to have, um, like to where you can get uh, some form of nursing also so it's a lot of stuff they're trying to do but it's like it's hard to just pick up off the ground and think that you're going to be able to do something so welding is like one of the first our class is one of the first trade that a women a woman has gotten since mdoc has opened period so it's an honor to be a part of the group that we're able to succeed and then have other people behind us that know that they can do it as well. And that's not just with gender, everybody. Because I know sometimes, you know, even as a, a male, you get discouraged thinking that, okay, it's too much. But you look at it as if a woman can do it, a man can do it too. Just like vice versa. If a man can do it, a woman can do it as well. Ebony Kroon is from Pascagoula. She's one of the women at Central Mississippi Correctional Facility in Rankin County who's finished an introductory welding training program. She's now certified in the trade. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi programming. 